I say this to everyone in the hotel is don't be a, a checkers player, right? Play chess, learn everyone's top, top skills, what makes them who they are, and your leadership will follow through that have candid conversations with your guests and your team members. Welcome to the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Turk. Join me as we dive into the personal stories of some of the world's best hospitality professionals. We follow the journey of their ups, downs, and wild turns to find out what it truly takes to make it in the amazing world of hospitality. This episode is brought to you by our podcast partners at Real-Time Reservation. Their inventory management system is best in class for hotels and resorts to manage their non-room inventory. The web-based application allows for creative upselling of overnight and daytime visitors with add-ons and pre-planned packages. Hotel guests and non-guests can reserve cabanas, pool chairs, activities, amenities, excursions, events, day passes, and much more. The real-time reservation platform offers a fully integrated pre-arrival portal where guests are verified through the property management system. Guests can prepay for cabanas and activities through credit card integrations, which are then processed through point of sale. All of our listeners that might be interested in using real-time reservation are welcome to explore the demo at realtimereservation.com. Once again, that's realtimereservation.com. Welcome to another episode of the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. Today, I'm very excited to have Carlos Macias, the hotel manager for the Nobu Hotel, Miami Beach. Carlos, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Excited, honored. Thank you, Steve. Well, Carlos, let's jump into it right away. What was your first job in hospitality? Oh, man. All right. So... In hospitality, you have to go back to Ecuador. My, my humble beginnings outside of the States, I'm not originally from here, but uh, I come from a long line of entrepreneurs. Uh, no hoteliers. I'm the first one of those entrepreneurs, but restaurateurs, uh, anything dealing with uh, really that essence of service. Uh, so I can humbly say that my very first, very first hospitality gig was uh, at a restaurant, a family restaurant. It was in Ecuador, uh, and then uh, transitioned into that in the States when we first came over. Uh, you know, definitely working probably way too young, uh, but that's just the way it was then. So uh, uh, tour, I would say, from anything you can think of in that, uh, in that world. So how old were you when you were doing that in Ecuador? Oh, man. So in Ecuador, I was 13, 14. Oh, you know, wow. it's a different world. It's, it's uh, you know, drinking age is younger and uh, everything's a little bit more fluid. So, uh, you know, working for the family and, and what all that brings uh, really teaches you quite a bit. So when you're um, saying family, was it your parents or like uncle? Like who was? Who so my uncle, uncle, my uncle, my uncle is, is the main one. My, uh, my grandfather as well. My mother uh, from ice cream pop-up shops around the city. Uh, you know, my uncle has his... Uh, uh, powder milk uh, uh, business that he then turns from the cacao and then, you know, makes candies and opens up uh, different things. So uh, yeah, just really anything you can think of. And I think as an entrepreneur, that's what it is, right? I mean, anything that you, that you dream about, anything that you think through, and then you, you wake up the next day and you just go after it. So there's not one thing that I can say that has been better more than the other, but just truly uh, getting out there, selling, 
you know, transferring that to America. You know, we would make taquitos with my mother in North Carolina, forwarding over to a different life in America. But uh, we would make taquitos and we would make them. We'd spend all night uh, doing them flautas, actually, with the lettuce and the mm-hmm. sour cream and everything. They're just amazingly done with arroz con leches, which is a typical kind of beverage. And in North Carolina, a kid from Ecuador ended up in North Carolina, which was a bit of a shock. Uh, <laughs> you know, we, we would do this all night and then we would go and, uh, you know, camp out outside warehouses, industrial areas of the city in the town. And we'd just open up that caravan, that Dodge, and uh, and we, w- we would sell. And, uh, and we would serve and we would make sure we had all the condiments and all the things and people would just be so elated and so happy to have a, a warm cup of, of that uh, beverage and uh, a delicious meal, you know, the hardworking class people. So, you know, those were the very, very humble beginnings of my hospitality and service. And I love saying service to me. That's, it's really more about what it is, right? Being that, uh, that servant at heart. And I love that hustle coming from you. So when did you come to the United States? How, how old were you? I was eight years old. I was eight years old. When I came, yes, 99, September of 99 is when I came to the States. To Miami, to Miami and spent about eight months here. And uh, and uh, my folks were like, nah. <laughs> going to North and, Carolina. Uh, yeah, North Carolina uh, to some family members that we had up there. Yeah. And what city were you in in North Carolina? Just because I have family in Charlotte. Yeah, well, you know, you and I have a great connection there with Charlotte. And, and uh, you know, that's where I went to college and and I spent a lot of my time, but the actual city was Salisbury, North Carolina. So you couldn't find it on the map if you, maybe now because it's grown, but back then you, you couldn't find it. That's so funny. So you're doing that. You're, you're working in your uncle's restaurant and on times off summer when you're 13, doing things down there, getting the hustle with your family. Mm-hmm. And then is this kind of in your blood? Like, you know, you want to do it. And that's why you went to King's college to study this. Quite frankly, it was a conversation. It was a simple conversation in, in high school in, in North Carolina. It was, it was, you know, guy walks in the door, says he wants to get a quick degree. I said, all I want to do is open my own thing one day and, and, and I need this to get in the door. And, and here we went. So we didn't ask questions. We just, we just did it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I got that degree, quite frankly, just out of pure getting in the door uh, in the industry, uh, which, which I did with, with Omni eventually. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and quite frankly, that was just the shortest, probably two years of an associate's degree. I can humbly say that that is what I have. And I think, uh, for me, that's, that's been more than enough, actually, believe it or not. So I'm a little bit of, uh, of the opposite end. And now that I'm a father, I, I, I tend to think what I'm going to say to my son one day about college, but for me, that's, that's what worked and it's, it stuck. <laughs> well, that's what's great about hospitality, right? I've seen so many people we've had on the podcast who start as dishwashers and become CEOs of companies and right. become, you know, top GMs around the globe. So that's what I love about this industry. If you can work and care about people, you'll do great. So you're at King's College and you start working at the Omni, I guess, as a student. Is that kind of what started happening? Yes, immediately, right? I think, uh, you know, for me, college was just a byproduct, right? For me, it was, you know, how do I touch that general manager? Uh, at the Omni uh, in downtown Charlotte at the time and, and you know, by placement and, uh, you know, all the curriculums, they are like, no, 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 you need to go, you need to go here to this hotel. I'm like, no, 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 I'll tell you where I want to go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that has been my mentality ever since, right? It's been, no, 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 I want to either go to the Ritz or the Omni. That's, that's, that's all you're going to get out of me. And uh, fortunately, I stuck through it and, and ended up there in an unpaid externship back then. You, you did unpaid two whole months. 
And uh, to me, it was like, I walked through the door every day as a general manager uh, and I treated it that way. So immediately I got my very first gig officially in a hotel as a, uh, as a bar back and as a restaurant server in the evenings after I was done with my, with my. So what was that like? Because, you know, you were working for family businesses, then you come into the Omni, which is one of the top hotel brands. Was mm-hmm. it kind of eye opening or like, all right, I like this. I can get used to it. What, what was it like for you? Very, very eye opening from, from the hustle of, of, uh, you know, doing things a certain way, uh, doing mm-hmm. things your way to, to having to have some structure. Uh, but I think that's good, right? I think structure is, is needed. And, and, and what Omni taught me very early on was that there was a right way and a wrong way to do it. Right. And, and there's, uh, and there's a, a great way to learn by those, uh, by those lessons. When you start moving up in that hotel, how did you go from being a bar back in a server to start getting into leadership roles? Yeah. Because you grew with that company over a bunch of years, but how did you start making that move for getting away from being the server or the bar back or the bartender in the eyes of managers to becoming a leader? Sure. For me, it was all about relationship building. So, and, and I didn't, by no means that I discredit my immediate report, right. My immediate leader. But for me, it was, you know, it, it, my goal wasn't to be an, a restaurant manager, right. My goal was to be the F&B director. My goal wasn't be to be the FOM. My goal was to be the director of rooms. Right. So, uh, you know, I, I was definitely quick on my feet and, and good with my words. Mm-hmm. And uh, through the hustle and the work ethic, I think for me was uh, I, I specifically wanted to talk to them, right, and do exactly what we're doing here today. I wanted to learn from them how they did it mm-hmm. and in their experience and in their lives. So uh, by doing that, I think those leaders, those amazing mentors of the early years, you know, that are still within great organizations now, areas and VPs and et cetera, uh, really took me under their wing. So for me, that was a blessing. To me, that was the best way. So when there was an opportunity, I was the first one to apply. Absolutely half the time unqualified and un, right. un, unskilled at times, but uh, but they, they immediately said, we knew you were going to do it. We knew you were going to apply. We knew you were going to go for that. Give me two more months. I'm going to teach you what you're going to need to learn, but you're going to need to work at it. And sometimes you need to work at it after hours, meaning on your own time and dime. And I was, I was happy. I mean, that was promotion enough for me at the time. So I said, absolutely, whatever it takes, uh, just don't pass me up. Right. Just give me the shot. Uh, and, and to me, that's what worked. That's what stuck. So as you were coming up, how did, how did you do those things? Was it like just raising your hand for every opportunity or picking up the extra shift or learning, Hey, I want to learn the PL? Like, how did you get those skills that yeah. most people want? But don't I have? think, I think at the time really, you know, very few wanted to go to the extra mile, but very few wanted to pick up the extra shift. Very few wanted to, to do those 14, 15 hour days. Uh, and, and for me, I was, I was welcome to it. So uh, at the same time, you know exactly in a hotel, right, throughout the year when when everyone wants to to just kind of be a little bit relaxed, right? And I was the opposite, right? When everything got tough, I was the first one in. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and that's where you learn, right? That's where the the friction happens, and that's when uh, and that's when that pressure builds. And so those moments, I was able to take pressure off my leaders, and eventually that trust grew, and they said, "Wait a minute." Carlos can handle that MOD shift, you know, when I became an AFOM or when I became an MOD or, 
you know, when I was a, a, a restaurant supervisor, like, no, 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 we don't need another manager. We can save on that la on that labor. <laughs> Carlos will close everyone out. I mean, it wasn't a very busy restaurant at the time, but uh, uh, you know, it was it was a trust factor. So I think right. for me, I, I built the trust of my leaders, and they trusted me. So it was important. So you start to grow at this hotel. You're moving mm -hmm. up. When do you first become a leader? When is the first job that you are a manager mm -hmm. title there? What did you get? So I'll tell you what, you know, this is a little bit of a long lost art. I know that there's still these programs out there, but, uh, you know, it's something that uh, to me as a, as a general manager, I will 100% have this because it uh, was just absolutely amazing for me. And I know Marriott has their own version. I know other companies, but the first time was a leader in development program, right? That one year breaking through into the leadership role. Uh, and once again, there was a, a playbook, if you will, mm -hmm. uh, but but there was really no rules to that, right? They said, you know what? You want to be a leader in development? Great. That means you're going to have to be a restaurant manager. You have to be an AFOM. You have to be an FOM. You have to be an MOD. You have to do all these different things. You have to be the captain, right? You have to be right. the leader amongst everyone else. Uh, and I did that in every single department at, at that hotel. And uh, and I tell you what, that was that was the longest probably year of learning but it was the best year. And that's when I really got down to the accountability factor, to the leadership factor, finding my style, learning how others learned uh, and, and teaching them what I knew. Uh, so as a leader in development, which is a manager in training, right, or MIT and other organizations, that's when I can truly say I was that leader. And then after that program is when, you know, you get handed a piece of paper that says, can't really stay here. There's really nothing for you here. But Here's our portfolio. Here's a ton of uh, hotel leadership roles. Where would you like to go? And so, you know, then you officially got that uh, that move, which ended up for me in Orlando. So that's why you make the move to Orlando. So that was be my next question. So you're working in Charlotte. You're doing the training. You're mm -hmm. tasting all these departments. Mm -hmm. Before you jumped to Orlando, well, maybe that's why you had to do that. Did you choose, rooms? Did you choose rooms over food and beverage? And that's just because it was the only open job that was available at the time? Or did you say, no, I like me, the room side, I'm going to go? No, you know, quite frankly, to me, I had done FMB enough to where I felt comfortable that I could come back to it, but still humbly knowing that I needed to come back to it and do more of that internally. But I'll be honest, I had a great mentor that uh, was with me the entire time I was lit, who really pushed me. Um, great, great leader who's still with Omni right now. Uh, as a general manager of an amazing hotel in his in his in his world, and he told me, he said, you know, I, I think at the time I had an option to go to Atlanta, the CNN Center in Atlanta, massive thousand room plus mm -hmm. uh, hotel downtown. There was something in San Antonio, I think, uh, you know. And they said, you know, no one wants to go to Orlando. No one wants to go. It's a seven hundred and twenty room beast, golf, spa. You know, there's some there's some rental units for this villa vacation for vacation. Mm -hmm. you know, it, it just no one wants to go. No one's lasted there. It's it's a bit of a beast. And so I said, I'll go there. So I was like, I don't care what I'll do. I don't care if it's F and B or rooms. They said, great, they have an A farm. And I was like, mm -hmm. I'm packing my bags. Let's go. And that's how I ended that. Uh, so how was that talk with family? Were they supportive? Like you're leaving the confines of North Carolina where you kind of mm -hmm. grew up? Was mm -hmm. that they, they expected it? They expected yeah. it. Yeah, no, I, 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 for me, that's that's important. And I come from that family of, of hustlers. So they said, okay. Yeah. Okay, so you leave, you go to Orlando, you're on your own, I assume at this time, right? So Completely. you go to Orlando, you're on your own, you don't know many people. 
No one. And your assistant director of front office and villas. Mm-hmm. Yes, they gave me the they gave me the thing nobody wanted. Right, we were the villas on that on that rental program, and it was A to Z, through and through. You know, and and, and these are owner 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 managed operated units. You know, two to three bedroom massive uh, villas that that you know require all the all the bells and whistles. So. Uh, you know, it was a really great opportunity, but it was a challenge. And that that property, if you're familiar with it, it's yep. it's it's quite the resort. It really, really uh, humbled a lot of people. It humbled me. It it uh, taught me a lot. It, uh, it it really was an amazing opportunity to be there. So that's how uh, that happened. But no, I didn't know anyone in Orlando. Orlando, that market, you know, at the time was really hot and it was really exciting. Uh, let alone now. I mean, the things that that are there now, the, the properties, the the amount of keys, everything that's gone on around with Disney. I mean, it was a complete shock coming from North Carolina at the time. Charlotte, right. if you you know you're familiar, it, it's it's a city, but it's it's small not town that city. big. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To go to a place like Orlando, you know, it was kind of my first opportunity to go back into that. So it was it was a great opportunity. So you're there for a year and a half, year and seven months. Yeah. Did you just miss? North Carolina and Charlotte, or was there an opportunity that came knocking from someone you knew from before? How did you end up coming back to Charlotte? It was those relationships that I had built in Charlotte. And uh, actually in Orlando, I met my wife. It's funny, my wife and I, hoteliers move around a lot, but uh, mm-hmm. my wife told me, she's like, you know, you know, and she's from North Carolina. And she said, I really want to go back. And uh, someone picked up the phone and said, hey, you know, if you're thinking of Charlotte again, the best hotel in Charlotte's the Ballantine Hotel. You know, you need to continue on your path. Just come on by, take a meeting. Mm-hmm. I took that meeting and fell in love. I met with the owner, you know, Mr. Smokey Bissell there at Ballantine. Uh, and so as much as I hated leaving my Omni friends, uh, you know, I was like, I have to go do that. I have to go do it. I have to go back. It's it's familiarity for me going back to Charlotte. And it was fun doing so. So when you come back, I've stayed at the Ballantine, so small world. I think I was actually probably there the years that you were there for one or two mm-hmm. bar mitzvahs and maybe another wedding with the family there. So we definitely crossed paths before we actually met officially. Sure. So once you're there, you know, you make a change. You end up going more into the back of house as the into mm-hmm. housekeeping. And mm-hmm. I know you probably got a taste of that when you were doing your rotations at MIT, but it's mm-hmm. two different worlds, right? And mm-hmm. so how did you adjust to that when you yeah. made that move? I think by this time, I've, I committed myself to becoming a director of rooms. I committed myself to becoming that rooms division executive. So uh, to me, it was only it was only the best move possible to, to lead that organization with the luxury collection with Starwood at the time before Marriott uh, was was just amazing. It, it was the first Forbes rated property I've been to. There's, there's just so many things that, that drew me to that hotel. And and being back along with family also was a as a key portion of it. But uh, but to me, learning truly the back of house and and I'll be honest with you, in that property there was very little uh, structure in a way of a lot of layers. So you really did quite a bit, you know. And so by by way of that fire, I learned. And as a luxury hotelier at the time, uh, I was really able to learn really everything. And and an iconic property like that, and you've been there, you know. It, it, similarly to those really ultra traditional luxury hotels, you know, there comes a lot to maintaining those. And these are, you know, handpicked, you know, overseas furnishings and uh, bedding and 
uh, decor uh, from the lobby to the restaurant to to the rooms to the space the spa really everywhere the lodge which we had a beautiful lodge that has hosted presidents and prime ministers and the ultra celebrities and, and uh, big property wide conventions and full buyouts uh, you know it really really taught me how to slow down where Orlando taught me how to deal with masses mm -hmm. big uh, and and big operations right uh, Valentine taught me how to refine and how to slow down and be uh, really personable and really intentful with how you were doing that delivery of service. And again, being Forbes rated at the time was was really truly a blessing for me. I learned a lot. We did quarterly trainings. We had the Forbes trainer there. We were certified. The restaurant was as well at the time one of the few in North Carolina. Uh, so it was a it was an amazing opportunity, amazing experience. Great leaders there too. So I have two questions coming, but the first for someone who's never worked at a Forbes hotel, what is the difference? Cause they've probably a lot of people worked at some very nice hotels, but what is the biggest difference you see of working at a Forbes rated hotel versus sure. others that haven't received that four or five star rating? I, I think it's the intensity of consistency to me and, and, uh, and the expectation without, without any sort of wavering. And, and, and again, we all of course strive to be, uh, the best and and, uh, and do everything we can. But I think when you have that forefront from an ownership level down, from a general manager level down, from an area, from everyone in the building down to the, you know, the, the caddy right at the, at the club, everyone spoke the same language, every single person, everything that we did from our lineups to our department meetings, to our trainings, to uh, every single thing was, ended with well, how does this fit with everything that we're doing to ensure that we maintain our Forbes standards, ensuring that we maintain that 60% repeat business uh, ratio, which is very, very hard to do, mm -hmm. uh, both in the restaurant locally from the, uh, you know, ultra, ultra, ultra wealthy folks that that visited there, but down to really the person who saved up their whole life to, to go there that were in the outskirts of North Carolina that came to that hotel as to your point as very traditional, very multi-generational kind of stays, you know, how are we going to maintain that same level every single year uh, from the, from the finest touches from, from the room to, to the, to their favorite beverage in the restaurant or that infamous lobby bar or to our very much. So one of my favorite uh, lobby tea ceremony traditions. Uh, yeah, uh, that high tea. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, to me, for me, those, those are things that separate those hotels apart and, and the investment truly that an owner has to make, that a company has to make, because uh, even at the time they weren't, of course, something that uh, you could glance over p &L, right? Those were very big investments to maintain. And you kind of mentioned that culture of consistency. So mm -hmm. how does that culture happen? Does it have to start at the top or is it someone in the middle? Like, how do you see that if you were mm -hmm. helping somebody say, hey, you got to get to this level? What, what kind of culture, mm -hmm. how can they build that culture of excellence and consistency? Yeah, I think if you look through everyone's files, right? If you look, if you look through everyone's training documents, if you if you look through your lineup document, every hotel has a stat sheet or a hot sheet or a uh, you know newsletter or or anything you put out, right? Anything that describes your culture, whether it be a poster in the back office or your daily lineup or your core values or uh, you know all all those things that that amazing hotels have that speak to what their purpose and their mission statements are, uh, those in conjunction with every single leader in the building, right? 
if all those things are, are, are screaming at you every single day with those levels of intent to make sure that that is your, your goal, your purpose, mm -hmm. then you will achieve it, right? The consistency will just flow naturally. Uh, you know, similarly to with Forbes, right? It's all about the feeling, right? So uh, at the time, you know, another amazing program that we had at the property was, and I was a service culture ambassador. I took that job very seriously. Mm -hmm. And it was my job to train everyone at the time. Starwood had an amazing service culture training that was very much in conjunction with uh, uh, with Forbes. And, you know, at the time it was connect and delight and, and, and all the feelings that came through with that service level. Uh, and I was a trainer. And, and to me, that was the, the, the most honorable gig I'd ever had to date. I said, wow, they're entrusting me with that culture. So, yes, I can say it's the general manager down. I can say it's the director of F&B and director of rooms and everyone else. But to me at the time, everyone that came into my trainings and uh, and I converted this little, you know, old hotel room into like my little training room. To me, everyone that came to that room had just made a pledge and made a commitment to make that consistent effort to meet those service essentials. And uh, and that was the very first time I became a, a true property trainer, a true uh, ambassador of, of that culture that you're trying to defer to. And, and ultimately, I handed that baton off to the next person who came up to me and said, I want to do exactly what you're doing. And I thought that was, a, was an amazing, amazing achievement, a uh, very small achievement in my career. But that one, I really look back to every day and I go, wow, that was a fleeing moment. I, I want that over and over and over again. Yeah, especially when you're doing such a good job that somebody wants to be you. Right. And to have that role mm -hmm. of leading the culture mm -hmm. and, and pushing yeah. that out there. That's great advice. I think for anyone listening, if you're really trying to build a culture, mm -hmm. it, it takes exactly what Carl's saying is all of the things that you share with your team have to be, use your quote, screaming that information and mm -hmm. making sure that they understand that we're up to that level. So you're at the Valentine, you're doing well, but you make a change. What happens? Are yeah. you start looking or is someone calling you? What happens? And I and I think for success, this is this is the this is the learning moment in your career, right? And uh, and to everyone out there that's getting those phone calls from those recruiters that are getting pinged every day, you know, every every opportunity is a lesson. So I did. I got pinged by someone that that I that I definitely um, held in a in a, man, a very high regard, and uh, they said, "Listen, there's an amazing opening. You don't have an opening under your belt." You've done housekeeping, you've done front office, you used to do F and B, but you haven't opened a hotel. You don't have it all. It's like, okay, I'm listening. <laughs> so, they, got they got the hook in. They got the hook in. They 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 threw a massive title out there. Great, great money. And I've I've definitely, you know, been listening and, and I know everyone comments on some of your posts, uh, uh, Steve, about about this specific topic, right? where it's not all about the money and the title and how recruiters go and how everything goes. And by all means, it's an amazing part of the industry. But I think as a young hotelier that I was at the time, considerably very impressionable, very much so hungry uh, and uh, and immediately saw all these things. And then at the time, this was an amazing, it still is, by the way, an amazing hotel opening in Charleston, South Carolina, uh, the Beach Club. And it was going to be uh, rated with leading hotels of the world. And to me, that just, again, that screamed everything that I had just built in uh, into my DNA to, to be the trainer. So it was immediately that, that most amazing opportunity to open a hotel from, from scratch, from, from construction, you know, as a, as a head. So that was kind of the first time that, 
that was that that kissing on that uh, of EC level executive level position. So, so I again I packed my bags again at the time. My my girlfriend, right, who now is my wife, I said, hey, I'm moving down to Charleston. She's like, okay, well, it's only a three hour drive, four hour drive. You go do that, and and here wives always know best, right? She's like, I'm not gonna move with you this time. I'll let me know how that goes. And so I said, no problem, I'm going. And uh, and again, made amazing connections at Valentine. Left there, went there, and uh, and boy, it was an experience there too. Opening a hotel, woo. Yep, I've done two, and I don't love them, but you learn what, a lot. What do you think of those? I mean, when you're opening those, uh, it's you bond with people because you go through trauma together. That's what I like to say. <laughs> it's uh, bonding through trauma. trauma That's right? good. So yes, you have to is. bond together to survive. And yes. there's yes. so many things that will happen that you don't expect and yes. you can have the perfect plan, but it has never gone to plan exactly as you need it. Sure. It's, you know, and I'm sure you felt the same there and you were there for, you know, a short time. I'm sure you got mm -hmm. it ready and got it prepped. And then what happened? Was it similar to others? We're like, all right, I've got it open. It's time to get back to a place that's, that's been open and running or were you just missing home? No, no, no. I think for, for me, it was exactly that. It, I didn't really miss home at the time. I just, I, I felt it in my heart that, that I had done everything I could there. And at the time I was really maturing in my personal relationship. So my wife really needed to get back home to her family in Northern Virginia in the DC area. And so once the hotel opened and it's thriving and it's winning awards and, and, and I had selected some key individuals to, to be there to lead, I said, you know, I think uh, I think I've done enough and uh, I really wasn't tied to the area. Charleston, although wonderful, wonderful city, and we have some great properties there now with Davidson, uh, you know, just wasn't home for me. I didn't feel it. Uh, and, you, and you really have to take off every box in order to say that you're going to stay in one place for a while. And, uh, and to me, I wasn't done learning. You know, I think for me, I was, I was ready to, the hotel was actually a, a little smaller too. So I wanted to do something back to my grassroots words, which was a little bit bigger. It's still an amazing opportunity. Again, leading hotels of the world through and through, maintaining those standards of excellence and level, amazing property. You know, went through my first hurricane there on top of opening. Uh, in Charleston, that's scary. Yeah. <laughs> you know, floods and all the fun stuff, recruitment, opening. It was actually a multi-property hotel. So we had one operating and one that was being built and then two operating an amazing leadership team there, amazing managing director and everyone there. Uh, but well, ultimately, yeah, it's not the right fit. And sometimes we see that in people's career, you know, and I think that's important. I think that's yeah. good to wake up one day and say, you know what, this isn't going to be the path for me. And, and you leave in great terms and, uh, and you make the change I always associated to, to, and by no means am I, a, am I a perfect athlete out there, but I did very much. So wanted to be a, an amazing soccer player and, mm -hmm. and I just, quite frankly, wasn't good enough. All my friends were, they all were much better than me, but sometimes coach comes in the, in, in the, in the locker room and says, mm -hmm. Hey, you've been traded. You got to go. You, you know, your time is, oh, I've only had one season, but to me it was, it was that one season and that was one season was enough. Well, then you join an interesting brand, which I know mm -hmm. some about, but not all about, and you join mm -hmm. two roads hospitality. So you mm -hmm. join as a director of front office and guest experience. Mm -hmm. So I have stepped back to move forward. What was Two Roads Hospitality like to you as you joined them? Because you had been at some other mm -hmm. kind of top tier ultra lux mm -hmm. hotel before. Mm -hmm. And this is a little bit different, more lifestyle. What was that like for you? Yeah, I think it, I found my niche, honestly. 
going to that brand, I, I knew exactly where I needed to be. With a management company comes an amazing, amazing layout of benefits. Uh, and and to me, I found I found a little bit of home there. I was amazingly successful there, uh, more than than I ever thought, quite frankly. Uh, to to spend the time that I spent there. And by this point now, everyone's kind of said, "Wow, this guy's been in a lot of places and mm -hmm. can't be that old." And so to me, I said, "Okay, I'm gonna stick around for a little bit." But quite frankly, Steve, the success that we had at that hotel, bringing it back to life, was the first time I had gone to a place to to and quote unquote help it just blossom right and i felt that i should be the one again that goes to where nowhere else wants to go and and help and serve others and build a program build a team from scratch and to take it where no one's ever taken it before and build all these amazing programming that's where i learned about uh activating and pop-ups and taking it to the step further and everything that I had learned up until that point, but really implementing it and then teaching it. At the time, really, that, that property hadn't gone through a, a lot of that luxury feel. And so to me, bringing that elegance and that elevation through the through the processes and and, uh, and everything. And it's an iconic property as well, right? And, and all the properties that I've been uh, very blessed to be a part of are, are very, very, very iconic, well-known uh, properties in their markets. And, uh, and sustainable in a lot of ways. With big fans. And, and just to name the hotel, you're at the Lansdowne Resort and Spa. And when you were there, you won Condé Nast Traveler Awards. So that's ranked mm -hmm. by the people staying there. So you won awards with people raving about your service while you were there as a director of rooms. Mm -hmm. And what was something about that experience that you still have that you take with you now? Is it all just the kind of like the, the lifestyle stuff, the pop-ups and the activations and really mm -hmm. driving that guest experience? Or were there anything else? So there I was entrusted, and it's very key because my title specifically says that, and I kept it there for a reason, and and it was guest experience, right? It, it was the journey. It was really touching every single aspect of that of that of that stay there at that hotel. Fortunately, I had an amazing partner in food and beverage there, John Anza, and I have an amazing mentor that's still within organizations as our our executive chef. So, you know, we were kind of the three amigos there mm -hmm. and, and really we blossomed. And so we really did take that lifestyle luxury to heart and, and made that really, really exceptional. We had a, a membership component there with golf. We had an amazing following in the community being in the outskirts of DC in a very, very reputable neighborhood and area. One of the highest grossing zip codes out there in the country in that kind of Potomac mm -hmm. river falls uh, area. And, and to me, it was the first time where I could be kind of front and center and stage at that level in a larger scale resort and bringing that luxury lifestyle again. So again, everything from the beginning just followed through and I could do everything I, I wanted in those, in those arenas, which was wonderful. So I love seeing that you continue to grow everywhere you get promoted, which is <laughs> shows that you're doing so well. But then you make this move, which I'm most interested in, is you, you join Davidson hospitality group. And so why make that move? You're a director of rooms already, right? With a great hotel, mm -hmm. but you mm -hmm. make a jump to the Baker's Cave Resort here mm -hmm. in Key Largo. So right in my mm -hmm. backyard, mm -hmm. how does that come up when you decide to make that move? Yeah. So leaving Lansdowne as a director of rooms promoted within all the awards, accolades, bringing everything to life uh, and, and having that opportunity was amazing. 
Uh, and, and listen, hotels go through sales all the time. And that's what happened there. I, I think I'd probably still be in that in that market, if I'm being honest, if that hotel hadn't sold. And it did. It, quite frankly, it went independent. And I, the, the valuable lesson I had learned was, you know, I really want to stay strong with the company that I can grow, that has a portfolio, that has resources. And you've seen it in action here, visiting our hotel now and, and making connections with our Davidson uh, corporate team. You, you have that that spark, right? That feeling of being connected to something larger. Uh, and, and it's that same feeling that you get when you work in a brand, right? Uh, and I knew I wanted that. So I knew I didn't want to stick around in that area. And again, right? Here comes another opening, right? This was kind of that that uh, that phone call that happened by way of connections with two roads because uh, you know we kind of all scattered after that yep. uh, and uh, and two roads a lot of folks went to Davidson and at the time Davidson was a, a big player still but developing a, uh, a lifestyle luxury uh, vertical right through through the Davidson portfolio uh, and I had an amazing like three hour phone call with the general manager at the time Joy Boyd uh, at Baker's K and I was like where is Key Largo on the map? I had to look it up. I was like, there's Miami and Key West. What's in the middle? And so we looked it up. It was in there. And this hotel had been just devastated by Hurricane Irma. You know, it was a Hilton property at one point. It was just, it was such an unknown. It was such a gamble, if you will, right? Uh, and and to be honest, I had, everything was calling me to the Keys at the time. There were multiple hotels making phone calls. And, and I have no idea, honestly, how my name just floats around the atmosphere, but it did. And I had this wonderful phone call with this general manager, flew down, uh, and and Steve, I am I, no no kidding, right? I land in Miami, and I, I, I rent a car, I'm driving, and I'm driving. And, and if you've made that drive, right, imagine that drive for the very first time. And I'm like, where am I going? Going over the, the bridge, going over the stretch, getting into Key Largo, Water, road, water. Okay, this is interesting. Coming from a big metropolis that was in the D.C. area, right? And all those, that, that fast-paced life, to the island life, basically, right? To the land of pirates. Well, no land, right? To the to boats and and, and, and that fun. And and we get the Baker's K, and it's this just this, this gem of a hotel, this 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 super huge unknown and fun. And and here comes this general manager. And, 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 and this is not an exaggeration. I have a picture to prove it. She is in jeans and boots and getting off of a, 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 a tractor. Or I, th I think it was like, it, this thing is under construction. This thing is like the roof is still being installed. And it was just so much going on. Half of the hotel mm -hmm. was closed. And I was like, what is going on? What am I doing? Where have I landed? And I fell in love immediately. I, I knew exactly where I wanted to be after that meeting. I had no idea about South Florida. I had no idea about the Keys. Uh, and then again, just like before, at the time it was my wife, I, at the time of Mary, I was like, we're going to the Keys. And she was like, what? Are you crazy? Mm -hmm. uh, I said, we're going to the Keys. This you, you have to see that. Flew her down. She fell in love with it and, uh, and then ended up there to another opening uh, <laughs> in, a, in a very much so a Creole Caribbean, uh, very, very tough market down in the Keys. Yeah, were you living in the Keys or were you living north? Like, where were you living? Because I know most that's of, something. Most of the team lived. Most of the right. team lived uh, uh, north in Homestead, Florida City, right. even mm -hmm. you know Kendall and 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 so forth. Uh, but I was very fortunate to again, because I'm a 
a little bit of a smooth talker at times. I, I grabbed the attention of a, of a wonderful couple and uh, we struck a deal for a home in uh, in Isla Mirada, mile marker nice. 88, right nice. on the bay. I had a sunset view every night. It was it was a perfect opportunity for me to live right in the Keys. Man, so you're living postcard life for three years in Isla Mirada. Yes. It's beautiful. And so for listeners, if you don't know Isla Mirada, it's one of my favorite areas just to go decompress and relax. So he was in the right spot. But you're also there. <laughs> when COVID hits, right? And so you do an opening, then you get all excited and then get crushed by COVID for a couple of months, but then the market explodes, at least in South Florida. Is that what happened to you in the Keys? Yes, I think just like everyone else, the Keys were very specific in particular because as you know, the whole whole Keys, right? There was a checkpoint. So you really had to have a letter of ownership or ID that said you live there in order to get in. And so obviously just, just as much as when Irma hit, right. And all those, uh, you know, post, uh, traumatic event days and months and weeks, I think for us in the key, similar to a lot of places out there in the country and in the world, uh, you know, it was just one week at a time. And, and I was part of the team that stuck back, you know, I myself got COVID and I was in, in room 154, uh, at the time. And I stayed there for weeks at a time, my GM, would like uh you know leave some food out in the <laughs> in the balcony and i would grab it and and, and if you've seen this joy this is just a great testament of great great leaders do and so you know i was fortunate i was very i was i was fine and and you know at the time it was just it was it was the whole world was in, in shock of it so so yeah we went through that but you're right as soon as we opened up it exploded i mean we really only had two weeks really of of 50 percent occupancy and you know reduced hours in the restaurant i mean it was a very immediate right after that and uh and it was it was a hard navigation it was very tough well you handled it well because you got promoted again right so again the pattern of being promoted yeah (laughs) to me it was an opportunity and again to 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 talk through that with 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 your leadership with your ownership and you know I've, i've i've heard this multiple times in your in your in your podcast where it's you know, if you if you're really intentful with what you want and you and you speak it out loud and you work towards it and you're relentless to it, uh, and, and that's exactly what I did. I just opened my mouth and I said, you know what, I really want to do this. I want to do more. I ended up learning leisure and sales and and built the consortium market at that hotel. So I kind of deviated a little bit from just the daily op to more broader thinking and more overall ops. Got to lead more of the FMB side and learn from an amazing group of people there. And again, just get thrown into that, you know, and as a resort manager, that's what you do, right? Your, mm-hmm. your, your MODs, your, you know, we did over 180 weddings a year at that hotel. We, we crushed it in food and beverage and all the outlets, rooms, occupancies over 86% year round, record breaking ADRs, uh, you know, and just all those amazing activations, private dining experiences, built a, an incredible sustainability program there, one of the best in the portfolio, and uh, ultimately led to the successful sell of that asset at one of the highest sell, actually in the Florida Keys, in the Monroe County, at uh, a million-dollar key uh, mm-hmm. sell gigantic. to the host, who now has it from KHP. Uh, and, and, and through that became the discipline that I was taught to, to be in PNL reviews and and ownership related meetings and to to forecast accurately to manage 
really successfully at a at a resort manager kind of GM style with an amazing mentor right there by my side uh, who pushed very very far uh, revenue optimization salesmanship and and uh, and really leading markets and and all that good stuff so you know I could I could spend hours talking about those three years but really that year and a half uh, shortly thereafter you know it's 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 amazing for me having that title is the first time where you really the guy you're the person that is the face of the operation is how i look at that role and so they called me mr ben baker there that that name has not <laughs> that name has not gone i get text message all the time as to this day right hey mr mr ben baker and the, there's a whole folklore story about that hotel for another time that that describes what that is we had that at that hotel but yeah you're right i think i think to me that was the time where where things really relied on you and 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 and, and everyone looked up to you at, at, uh, uh, to a lot of degrees, along with our general manager. Like you mentioned, the hotel gets sold, but you stay within Davidson this time, and you end up at another iconic hotel. Tell the listeners, where do you end up in your next move in February of 2022? Nobu, Nobu, Miami Beach, the iconic property, along with Eden Rock, who, if you're familiar with it, it is just a, an absolutely special stunning uh, property uh, right in the heart of Miami Beach. Uh, uh, and uh, and I couldn't have picked a better place to continue my career with Davidson, but also to uh, to come and, and jump on board uh, an amazing group of, of leaders and team members that have, to your point, have been here for a long time and that have taken this property from many, 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 uh, many links. No, it's amazing. And so listeners, some bells might be going off because you might recall that I worked there for a short time, uh, but I didn't work there with Davidson. I wish I would have because I see, I tell Carlos all the time, I see the investment that Davidson makes and the tools they have. I wish I would have had those there. But Carlos mentions a couple of things there where there has been people, the hotel opened in 1956. And so there are some challenges when you're working in a building of that age, but there's also people who have been there since the sixties. I think there's one or two mm -hmm. people who have been there for 40, 45 years working in kitchens and working in housekeeping and working in public areas. Mm -hmm. It's just cool to hear the history of all the things they've seen there. So for you coming into a place like that, where you have such history, what has it been like being a leader in that hotel? Sure. You know, to me it was, and I always consider myself a chess player, uh, but quite frankly, this opportunity joining the team at that time during some of those transitions really, really tested my, uh, my skills and, uh, and I always have this thing and it came from Baker's and, and it was a great opportunity to learn from there. But, you know, I, I, I to this day, I say this to everyone in the hotel is don't be a, a checkers player, right? Play chess, learn everyone's top, top skills, what makes them who they are. And your leadership will follow through that, have candid conversations with your guests and your team members. And so we we really did that. And we led through such a positive change and structure uh, and, and we really focused around our team and, and the rest was really what, what fell into place. And you've been here, you've stayed here multiple times since then, and you know what it was and what it is now. And, uh, and again, it's attributed to the Austins of the world, who's our public area tenant, who has been here for, you know, 45 years. And, and, and to me, that's, that's a testament. And then to the new leaders that you've met too. Uh, as well on property that have come on board. Daniel, director of food and beverage, Maria, uh, you know, just uh, I could go on and on. Mo and Banquets, who you worked with, who's still here. 
you know, we're a big group house and do a lot of events and, you know, transitioning the restaurant to Ocean Social, Chef Kristen Epps, who is just an absolute uh, star to have on property, uh, you know, and, and, and the front office team who is award winning and, uh, and you know exactly where I'm going to next, which is travel and leisure, taking the top spot, Condé Nast, taking the top spot. Uh, and, you know, it was just a tornado of positivity and training and, and just putting everything to play. Everything kind of culminated in these, you know, eight to 12 months that, that really began our, our, our managing director on property, Martin, bringing in his talent and his uh, positive ability to just absolutely impress everyone sharp to the to the nines and to what it was just a perfect uh, a perfect mix of bringing everyone on board uh you know and and to me leading the property uh specifically nobu uh you know in a complex multi-layered property which it is right the two towers and and uh, and you know it very well there's a lot of leaders around the city that have worked here and now are doing their own thing in a lot of other places uh, that are that have been in these in these buildings can tell you the respect and uh, what it takes to be successful here, and so bringing all that to life and 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 hiring the talent that we have in this building here today. I mean, I look around the room and 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 you know building an entire new executive committee team, building an entire sub level department head team, building an entire revenue strategy team, building an entire strategy, uh, building an entire output strategy of information and human resources and taking everything that has been done really well in the past such as yourself and building on it asking those open-ended questions uh, i tell you what it's been a blast and uh, and I, every day i walk through these doors i just think of the history the the iconic nature of the property and just everything that we've accomplished all the people that are here uh and and, and you know being rated with leading hotels of the world and, and maintaining that and uh, having all the wonderful, uh, you know, accolades that I've mentioned, and then actually most recently winning Hotel of the Year Award within Davidson's Resource Division, you know, and it's really not about that. It's just the team bringing that home for them, seeing their faces every day, every weekend, and and uh, and the promotions. Steve, I mean, I think every time we talk, you're like, what's that person doing? Oh, that person got promoted. Yeah. That person's now doing this, and, and the, the trainings and the leaderships. And that's when you could tell, right? There's a spark. There's a, a there's an amazing fluidity to it, and that's what we've built here. I can I can comfortably say. Look, I, I can see the difference, especially from my time to this time. So from 2019 to 2023, it's a, a mm -hmm. tremendous growth, and mm -hmm. it's a great place. So, if listeners, if you're looking to come down to Miami Beach, you know, look at the Nobu Hotel at the Eden Rock. It's a, a beautiful hotel product, and you got Carlos leading a great team there. So, Carlos. What are you most excited about in the next 12 to 24 months? I'm not looking for your five-year plan, but what are you most excited <laughs> about maybe in the next 12 months? What, a, what an interesting question, right? Because if, if you know, we spent an hour together and we've gone through some states and some hotels and some openings and some things, right? So I absolutely love Nobu. I absolutely love the leadership team, Trevor and those guys, and you've met them and, and they're connected with them. The brand is very strong. It's super, super alive. It's growing. Marrakesh just opened the other day and, you know, announcing new hotels every day. So uh, absolutely, absolutely excited uh, there. Davidson is growing. Absolutely excited there and happy there. On a personal level, I'm working on something and, you know, hopefully will be announced soon. Uh, once this airs, it'll probably be final uh, by then. 
uh, and and hopefully I'll be able to come back into one of those into those articles into those mentions with you because you were a big influence. You and I worked here together on on some projects on some on some really cool things on your on your other side, right? On your venture and training and uh, and helping properties, right? So. Uh, hopefully for me, it's, it's all, all things pointing to that general manager role and to all those hoteliers out there that are directors of rooms, ops, uh, hotel managers, F and B directors. Uh, you know, this is, this is obviously the way that, that, that I did it and how I came about it. But to me, it's to, it's to join a, a property as that general manager, as that, uh, as that, uh, figure, as that, uh, strategic leader and, an overall uh, an overall mentor to, to future leaders. So uh, you know, I, I can't tell you exactly where, when, uh, to this date right now, but uh, but hopefully we'll be announcing. Well, I've I've loved working with you. I've seen your passion for the team and for the guests, and it really is infectious. You 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 make people want to work with you, which is great. And so I know you're going to do well and whatever you have coming up. And you leave us on on the hook here. We're excited to see what you, <laughs> what you announce. Uh, That's we'll, good. We'll good. all be cheering for you for sure. Our, our, our community will be cheering for you. So Carlos, like you said, you've been really all over the country, different types of brands, different types of hotels. But if young Carlos, you know, the bar back was starting on your team today, what advice would you have for Carlos if he was starting today? Yeah. Never give up. Don't, don't, don't give that, don't give in to that notion that, that, that you can't do it or that it's too tough or that, or that it can't be done. I think to me, there's always a way finding the avenue, being resourceful. And, and, uh, and there are times where I wasn't. And I think I look back and say, I could have, I could have been a little bit more resourceful. I could have been a little bit more intense in some of those, in some of those. So yeah, just, just be relentless. Just be be absolutely relentless. Uh, and there's something that I always tell every single one of my leaders. And and you may not have the answers and you may not know and you and you may and you may it may take you some time. But I think the grit, you know, there's a culture of grit that that was a, uh, at the core of, of, of my of my professionalism and, and everything that is about Carlos. But but having that grit. So, you know, never give up. Always, always go after it. And have grit and, and have that passion to keep going forward no matter what what happens, no matter what uh, stumbles you. I think that's a great place to end our conversation. That's fantastic advice for anybody coming up. Carlos, thank you for taking the time with all of us here. I'm very grateful that you shared it with us and, and the listeners thank here. You. I appreciate you. Thank you for having me. I can't wait to, uh, to see you again in person and uh, talk again. I appreciate you. This podcast is brought to you by Biscayne Coffee. Biscayne Coffee was founded with a giving spirit and a big idea to enjoy delicious coffee roasted in Miami while helping save Biscayne Bay and the animals that live there. As a former food and beverage director, I can assure you these are some of the best quality beans on the planet. 10% of every coffee sold is donated to nonprofits to help preserve Biscayne Bay for all to enjoy. Visit BiscayneCoffee.com today and use promo code MENTOR at checkout to save 10% on your first order. Drink good coffee and create a good outcome.